Lord, thank you for seeing us safely through this past week. And we're just so thankful for so many things. You are such a great and wonderful God, a giver of so many blessings in all of our lives. And even now, as we come to study your word, we're thankful even for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that you desire to give us more than anything else, the Holy Spirit. And so we're asking for the presence of the Holy Spirit this evening to teach us and to guide us and to lead us into all truth. Please, Lord, be with us now. Illumine our hearts and minds. Help us to understand your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said already, we are studying a very familiar parable and we are looking at the Good Samaritan. However, before we get into the parable itself, Let's have a look to see why Jesus told this parable in the first place. He must have had a reason. What was it that happened that gave Jesus this reason to give us this parable? Let's start by going to our first text, Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Luke 10, 25, the Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do? to inherit eternal life. Friends, who was it that came to Jesus? The text said that it was a lawyer. And I want you to notice here that, look, the lawyer in those days was not someone that went to court, that stood up in front of a judge and defended people that that were guilty of committing a crime or that were accused of committing a crime. No. A lawyer is not what we know it today who worked in the government or was in the secular world. The lawyer here was one that worked in the church. He was an expert in the Mosaic law, meaning this person was a religious person. That's why I said he worked in the church. He worked in the sanctuary or at least in relation to that. And so this lawyer now comes to Jesus and He asked Jesus what he needed to do in order to inherit eternal life. Obviously, he was wanting to hear something in regards to the law, right? I mean, in those days, the Jews focused so much on the law and the form of religion and all these ceremonies that what they needed to do in order to get to heaven. I mean, for example, the Pharisee who stood at the street corner and he boasted about all his works, all the things that he did. I mean, he he paid tithe of everything that he owned. He fasted twice a week. All he was focused on was his seeming works. Hence, a question from this lawyer was not something that was unusual, that would raise eyebrows, that would cause people to, to go, hmm, what is it that he's talking about? No. This was just a very simple question in those days. And so how did Jesus reply? Let's continue reading Luke 10, 26. And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? What does Jesus do? He points this man to the law. He points him to the Ten Commandments. And how happy this lawyer must have been to have been asked such a simple question, and especially something just up his alley in regards to his work, right? For he was a lawyer after all. And so how does he reply? Luke 10, 27 to 28, he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. This is the lawyer speaking. 
And he, Jesus, said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. And so this lawyer, he replies by stating that the law tells us to love God and love our neighbor. He summarizes the Ten Commandments into a law of love, which exactly is what it is. Jesus said, you got it. He agrees with the lawyer and he tells him, if you do that, you will live. You will have eternal life. And so the fact is further corroborated by Jesus' own words in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, love to God and love to man. It seems like an easy encounter, doesn't it? It seems like the lawyer is a pretty good man. I mean, Jesus asks him a question, well, he asks Jesus a question, and then Jesus replies with a question back to him, and he understood that the Ten Commandments were more than just ten laws, but it really summed up the essence of what love was. And so that was the spirituality of the law that many people even miss today in our time. But you see, he got it. He was pretty close to heaven. So you can imagine that the lawyer was feeling pretty good about himself at this point. And so he dares to ask Jesus one more question. What is it? This is the question that he asks before Jesus jumps into the parable. Luke chapter 10 verse 29. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Notice the Bible says here that the the lawyer, he wanted to justify himself one more time. He wanted to make sure that he was on the right path to probably prove to himself and others around him that he was righteous and he was a good man and he was on the right path to heaven and eternal life. After all, he was a lawyer, a teacher of the law. So, He was feeling pretty self-satisfied at this point that he was ready for eternal life because he got the first question right. So surely he would be that person that was loving God and loving his neighbor. And so he asks the question, who is my neighbor? And with that question, Jesus jumps into the parable. So let's get reading to it, shall we? Let's go to Luke chapter 10 now and verse 30. Luke 10 verse 30, Jesus answering and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. This man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho must have been a Jew. Anyways, he falls into the hands of thieves and thieves of robbers, and not only do they strip him of all that he has and leave him half naked, but almost ready to die. They must have beaten him up pretty bad. And he, who does he represent? Obviously, he represents all of us on the earth today, hurt by the devil, hurt by sin, and What happens next, though? Let's continue reading, shall we? In Luke chapter 10, verse 31 to 32, we continue reading. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by where? On the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by also 
on the other side. So there were two people that passed by this man who was half dead. First was a priest. The second was a Levite. However, both of them saw this man and both of them did not help. Both of them passed by on the other side. Were they neighbors? Did they love their neighbor? Obviously not, right? Even though they were all Jews, even though they were all of the same race. But not only that, these two people, the priest and the Levite, they were religious people. The priest, he worked in the temple, in the sanctuary. He was definitely a religious person. How about the Levite? What do we know about Levite? You see, a Levite was called such because they were from the tribe of Levi. And these were the people, the only tribe that was allowed to work in relation to the sanctuary. Now, not every priest, um, pardon me, not every Levite was a priest though. So the priest was a Levite, yes, every single priest, only the priests, um, only the Levites could be priests. But you see, the Levite, not all were priests, but they all did work in relation to the sanctuary. Some were assigned to take care of, of the material, the hangings, the, the fence, the, the plates and bowls, the golden spoons and all of that, the, the incense, all those things. So they, they were working in relation to the church, but not all were priests. However, this is one thing that we can, con can, can conclude. Pardon me. They all worked in the church. And remember, who's the lawyer? He was an expert in the laws of Moses, in the, the customs and the festivals and all those things. He was a teacher of the law. And so he worked in relation to the church as well. And friends, here's a very important uh, little application that we have here. Just because you know the law, it doesn't mean that you are a true neighbor. Just because you're a religious person and you're paid and you to, to work in the church itself, it doesn't mean that you truly have love for your neighbor. This was a rebuke to the lawyer. Why? Remember, he was trying to justify himself. He was trying to justify himself. He got the first question right, but he was trying to tell Jesus that he loved God and he loved man as well. But through this parable, Jesus is showing him that not everyone that can recite the Ten Commandments will have eternal life. Not everyone that can recite the Ten Commandments truly loves God and their neighbor. However, Jesus continues on this story. Let's keep reading, shall we? Luke chapter 10, verses 33 to 35. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. So by and by, a Samaritan comes along, and he comes and he takes care of this man. He puts him on his own animal. He brings him to an inn. He cleans him up and he sits there all night taking care of him. And when he has to go, he promises to the innkeeper, I will come back and take care of all of his expenses. You just make sure you continue to take care of him, okay? 
And so Jesus, he turns back to the lawyer and he finishes his conversation now with him. Let's continue. Verse 36 to 37. Now which of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he, the lawyer, said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Jesus asks him, Who was the neighbor to the man that had been beaten up and left half dead by the thieves? And the interesting thing here is how the lawyer replies. What does he say? He said, He that showed mercy on him. He that showed mercy on that man. What's so interesting about this? You see, he could not even bring himself to say that it was the Samaritan that was the one that was the neighbor, that showed mercy on him, that showed love from God to him. He couldn't bring himself to say that someone he hated, someone that he considered a heathen, was the one that was actually keeping the commandments of God, the law of love, and showing love to the neighbor. How did the Jews view the Samaritans? That would lead him to this point that he he couldn't even say it was a Samaritan. He couldn't bring himself to admit that in this such parable, which was probably a true story that had happened on the way. How was it that even this lawyer, this man who was meant to love everyone, could have such hatred for the Samaritans? Well, let's have a look. John chapter 4, verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, speaking to Jesus, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. This was the woman that Jesus met at the well in Samaria. And Jesus started up this conversation with her beyond business. You see, it was small talk and she was surprised. Why? Because the Jews never made small talk with the Samaritans. They were arch enemies. They hated each other. And the only time that they would communicate with each other was when it was necessary to buy food, to do some sort of business, trading with each other. But apart from that, they never mixed with each other. And what's interesting is those from Samaria were their close cousins. You see, the only thing about the Samaritans is that they had fallen into idolatry and worshipped other gods. They apostatized away from the true God that they all, including the the Jews current at that time, they all worshipped together. But because of this and the separation of the kingdoms after the time of King Solomon in Israel, you know, they, 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 would, they would later become Israel, um, Samaria, and Judah. They just gradually grew more and more apart. The northern kingdoms was where Samaria was, and that had 10 tribes. And the southern kingdom, which was um, where Judah was and where the temple was and Jerusalem was, that was where the Jews would eventually congregate. And an interesting fact is this, when you study the history of the kings, the northern kingdom of Israel hardly had any good kings. Hardly any, if any at all. All the good kings were found in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And this is how idolatry eventually crept in and overtook the whole country, which would then eventually become the Samaritans. So the Jews, they really hated the Samaritans. 
And furthermore, we read in this text, in John chapter 8, verse 48, Then answered the Jews, and said unto him, speaking of Jesus, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, and hast a devil? Can you see that? They even classify the Samaritans as being demon-possessed, possessed with the devil. So this is the reason why the lawyer could not bring himself to even say the word Samaritan in a good light. That's how much he hated the Samaritans. The neighbor was someone who simply showed mercy. And you know, friends, this is really one of the main points of this parable and of this story. Our religion in many times can just be all form. It can all be just about maybe just going to church, listening to a sermon, hanging out with a few Christian friends, and that's it. I mean, many of us, we maybe have even memorized the Ten Commandments and know the law is summarized into two points, love to God and love to the neighbor. But the question that we must ask ourselves is this. Are we really loving our neighbor? Are we really showing love to all those around us more than just our family and our close friends and those that we like to hang out with? Do we really have compassion for everyone around us? Or have we just become so insular and so focused on ourselves that we just become selfishly absorbed in our own interests, our own lives, our own everything? It's One thing to be polite and courteous and and kind to everyone that we come across, to the person that's helping us with our groceries, you know. Maybe they're a bit slow in scanning all our products and and, and packing everything up. They take a bit longer and and you don't lash out at them. You're patient. You're a bit more long-suffering. And yet that's not what it means to love our neighbor according to this parable. You see, I'm sure the the priest and the Levite were, were kind gentlemen that they were loving and patient. I'm sure they didn't think evil thoughts when they looked down at the man that was hurt and bleeding about ready to die. But they just moved on quickly and didn't want to help. They were probably more worried about their own safety and their own convenience and their own lives rather than taking the time to help this man, this person in real need. They knew that if they stopped to help, it wasn't just offering some water and some bread and, you know, some food. That would have been easy, right? But looking at this man who's ready to die, they did some quick calculations in their head and they figured out that it was probably going to take a lot more effort and a lot more time that would be taken from their own personal life. It was probably going to take some money, take some sacrifice. It was probably going to take some adjustment to their schedule. Maybe the priest was on his way to to, to work in the temple and if he was to stop, he would have to call in and say, "Uh, I'm sorry, I need to take some annual leave to help this man. And so they were probably more worried about their own personal life rather than this man that was lying there ready to die. The all-important question for us today is this. What kind of neighbor are you? I want you to consider that in the light of this all too familiar parable, that question, what kind of neighbor are you? The Samaritan, he put this man on on his donkey. He bandaged him up, poured out some oil and wine, and brought him to a nearby inn so that he could rest. And guess what? 
the Samaritan was already paying for the current expense at that hotel. But he went even further and he told the innkeeper the next day to allow this man to continue to stay at his inn until he was better and he would come back and repay everything. Do you know what that is equivalent to, friends? Here, take my credit card. Let this man stay here until he's better. And, you know, I think many of us wouldn't do that, right? I'm not saying that you should do that today, but I think many of us, we would think of all that monetary cost and all that sacrifice and we back out. It's too much. But friends, Jesus is saying, this is what it really means to love your neighbor. If you're willing to sacrifice for others that you don't even know. Sacrifice, self-sacrificing love. You know, let's take a, a, a little bit of time just to dig a little deeper into this story. Because many of us, we see it as it is, as I've described it. But you see, there is a little bit more detail that we can squeeze out of this as well. The Good Samaritan, he obviously represents Jesus. And that man beaten by the wayside who's ready to die, that's us, right? And look, let's look at some details here. Let, let's go back to Luke chapter 10 and verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The Samaritan, he had compassion on this man. Jesus also has compassion on us. Look at Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. NIV version. Jesus has a lot of compassion on us. And not just compassion, he has empathy. He's been in our shoes. He knows how to empathize with us, not simply sympathize. But not only that, what does a good Samaritan do? He pours out oil and wine upon the, 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 the wounds of this, this man that has been hurt. And look at Luke chapter 10, verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in what? Oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Friends, what does oil and wine represent? Well, let's start with the wine. Let's go to Matthew 26, 27 to 29. The Bible says this, And he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This was the institution of the communion, the last supper that Jesus had with the disciples. And we know that he had grape juice, he had wine, and that wine he said there represents his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ that he was just about to pour out on the cross. It is by His stripes we are healed. It is by His sacrifice that we are healed. Look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And look at this, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, it cleanses us from all sin. So the wine 
literally that wine that he poured out upon the wounds of this man was for cleansing. And we know that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Well, let's have a look at the oil as well. We know this all too well. We've studied this many times. What does oil represent? Zechariah chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Friends, what does the oil represent? It represents the Holy Spirit. When do we need, what do we need the Holy Spirit for, friends? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. What do we need the Holy Spirit for? Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through his Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. What does the Holy, what do we need the Holy Spirit for? We need to, we need the Holy Spirit that we can obey, but not only that, that we can love one another with what? True love. After all, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first characteristic that comes up in Galatians chapter 5. And so what do we need the Holy Spirit for? We need it for love. Friends, Jesus, He wants to forgive us of our sins. He wants to cleanse us, but then He wants us to have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with His love. And let's keep going. Let's keep going before we wrap this in and bring this all in. Let's look at a few more representations here, shall we? You see, in the Good Samaritan story, at the inn, He gives the innkeeper something as well. Let's go to Luke chapter 10 and verse 35. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more. When I come again, I will repay thee. You see, this good Samaritan, he takes out money from his own purse and he gives the innkeeper two pence, two pennies. It was like a down payment for current expenses and probably for the next few days, right? And so what is represented by these two pennies today? What deposit or what what down payment has Jesus given to us as a promise that He would return? Well, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14 in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Friends, do you know what that word earnest means there in verse 14? It means down payment. It means down payment, like a down payment that you pay for a house. I'm going to give a down payment, 1%, 5%. It's a promise that I'm going to come and I'm going to buy the whole house. What is the down payment that Jesus has given us today? 
It's the Holy Spirit. And the Good Samaritan says, when I come again, I will repay you. If you spend extra, I will repay you. Friends, that's the second coming. When Jesus says, when I come again, that's his second coming. And Jesus says at the second coming, I will give you reward. He will repay all that he has spent. And we know that the reward that we will get in the future will far outweigh anything that we have spent in this world today. Anything that we have sacrificed for ourselves to take care of somebody else. Yes, there's sacrifice. Yes, there's inconvenience. Yes, there's some expense, Jesus says, that we will incur if we are to be a good neighbor, just like the good Samaritan. And yet Jesus says, hey, let me give you two pence first. Let me give you down payment. Let me give you my Holy Spirit because without that, you cannot be a good neighbor. You see, friends, I want you to notice this detail that's really, really important in this parable. The good Samaritan, he passes on his duties from himself being a good Samaritan to who? The innkeeper. The innkeeper. Do you see that? He's expecting the innkeeper, to now be the good Samaritan, to do as he has done, but not for free. He gave him something. He gave him two pence. And likewise, we cannot be a good Samaritan. Or could I say, we cannot be a good innkeeper because a good Samaritan is Jesus. We are represented as the innkeeper whom Jesus says, I will give you my spirit and then you take care of other people. You do as I have done. Look at what it says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Friends, the commandment that Jesus has given to us today, yes, to love God, but to love each other as well. Not just in word, but in deed as well. Jesus wants us to be the Good Samaritan today. He's called each and every one of us to do that. And you know what, friends? If we really want to be this good Samaritan, if we really want to be like Jesus, we got to be filled with His love. We got to be filled with His Spirit. Friends, it's not enough just to keep the Ten Commandments. But how are you impacting the lives of those around you? Are you really just caught up with your own self and your own life? Here, here's a good place to, to take inventory of your own spiritual life. It's not just about going to church, friends, and, and listening to a sermon. That's a small part of it. But it's also the other six days in how we live, in how we serve, in how we treat others, in how we love our neighbor. It's not just being kind to a person to open the door for them or, or keep the lift open for them or, or watering your neighbor's plants. No, how do you show love to them? How do you treat other people? Are you sacrificing yourself for the sake of others? It's not just, oh, I'm just being 
patient here while I wait here because I'm just doing my groceries. It's not just being a nice person everywhere you go. But the good Samaritan, he sacrificed himself. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his means. He sacrificed his possessions just to save somebody who is ready to die. And friends, there are many people out there, not just physically, that are ready to die, but who are spiritually outside the gates of heaven, who have never known about the name of Jesus, who've never accepted the love of Jesus into their hearts. And if we want to win them to heaven, if we want to be able to to give them that eternal life that Jesus so desires to give them, there has to be sacrifice on our part. There has to be. And you know what, friends? At every turn, the human nature fights against it. We are naturally selfish. We are naturally inclined to look at our own lives, our own convenience, our own desires and wants and needs. We are naturally filled with sinful desires just for self. We don't like to keep serving other people all the time. When we get to that point, it's because we are filled with the Spirit of Christ. And this is, there is no other clearer representation today in this parable than Jesus said, if you are filled with my Spirit, you will have self-sacrificing love. You will go out of your way, out of your own schedule, out of your own normal life to share Jesus with somebody. We will be willing to go out of our comfort zone just to share Christ with somebody. Friends, that's what it means to be a good neighbor. Not a good neighbor where you're living next to somebody and, oh, uh, you know, I don't cause any trouble. I'm a quiet person. I keep to myself and all these things. No, friends, that's not what it means to be a good neighbor in the context of the Good Samaritan. It's self-sacrificing. Giving of yourself for the sake of others. And whether that's you literally, or whether it's your time, whether it's any of your possessions, anything that you own that you're willing to give to people, friends, that is born out of a love in our hearts that only Jesus can put there. That's where you know if you really keep the commandments or not. Love to God and love to man. What does the law say? Love to God and love to man. The motivation is not about what can I do to inherit eternal life? The motivation is what do I need to do now that I have eternal life so that others can have eternal life? And friends, I'm telling you, it will tire you out. You, you will work longer hours because you're sacrificing for the sake of others. That good Samaritan, he stayed up all night just to care for this man. Sacrifice of his sleep and his rest even. And friends, today, Jesus is calling you to sacrifice for the sake of others. Let's take our focus away from ourselves just for a moment. And let's focus on those around us. Let's ask Jesus to fill us with His love today. A love that is self-sacrificing. For God so loved the world 
that he gave. And he gave all that he could. Let us pray that we can be like Christ today. To be like the good, to be like the good Samaritan. Let us pray, shall we? Father in heaven, please fill us with your love today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be like Jesus. Lord, we cannot do it unless you help us. Please, Father, we are naturally selfish. You've got to create in each of us a clean heart. As you write your law in our hearts and minds, create in us a new creature that is just like Jesus, that is just like the Good Samaritan. Please, Lord, help us just today to take our own eyes off our own lives, the focus away from our own lives, just to focus on Jesus. Lord, help us to that end. Guide and lead us. Give us your love. Love not for our own lives, love for other people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.